Well, it's great to be with you all. We had a great day yesterday at this Confident Parenting Seminar. It's kind of Confident Parenting. I was telling them it's like an oxymoron. You really can't be a confident parent. It's like diet ice cream. But um, anyway, it was a great time, and I have grown to just love this church in the 24 hours I've been with it. I'll be honest with you. I kind of have a pastor crush right now on Rodney and Donna. I mean, they're amazing. (laughs) Really. You guys got to be incredibly excited. I've known Barry for 30 years, enough said. I love this man. And, uh, and I'm just so glad to be here. And I was with the staff yesterday, and I, I actually said to these guys, wow, they are an, you have an all-star team here leading this place. And uh, anyway, it's really a, a privilege to be with you. We're going to talk about relationships today. And anytime someone comes from afar and talks about relationships, they go, oh, he must have a perfect family. Oh, no. My daughter, Becca, who today is a Christian clinical psychologist, but when she was 17, we were driving in the car, and I'm not sure she had given me a compliment as a dad for, you know, a year or two. And um, she said, Dad, all of my friends think you are like the, the, the greatest guy, and you're like the favorite dad of my friends. So my head starts to get big like this. And she goes, and Lindsay wants this, and actually Ashley wants you to walk her down the aisle because she kind of had a deadbeat dad that wasn't around. I actually walked Ashley down the aisle. It was great. And, you know, she's naming all these names, and my head's getting bigger and bigger, and then I make the big mistake. I lean over and I said, well, do you think I'm a cool dad? And she goes, no, you won't let me do this. You won't let me do this. And, you know, the relationship, you know, changed my head, you know, sunk my, the ego. But the truth is, is that we can all improve relationships. Now, some of you are going to think this is a marriage talk. It's not. It's just about relationships. Some of you are going to think it's a talk for your parents. Other people are going to think maybe it's something you can do at work, but it's really about relationships. And I want to tell you, there's a story about a husband and a wife who went to the doctor and the man was sick. He thought he had the flu. And uh, he got there, and the doctor poked and prodded and took blood and took urine and asked questions. And then he went and worked on another patient. Then he came back. He was in the, the room for an hour and a half. The wife didn't know what was going on, so she got concerned. She stood up at about an hour and a half to go find out what was going on. And at that moment, the door opened, and it was the doctor. And he said, please come with me. And he had kind of a grim look on his face. And she was like, wow me? Okay. And so they walked by the husband who was getting his clothes back on. And then they went into his office. He sat down at his desk, put his arms there, and he said, your husband's severely ill. In fact, he's so ill that if you don't do exactly what I tell you to do in the next year, I'm afraid he's going to die. I mean, who wants to hear that? So she said, well, what do I do? And he said, well, first of all, he eats really poorly. I mean, he tells me that for breakfast he has sugary cereal. And I know you both go to work about the same time, but he says you get up later. Is there any way you could get up early and, and make him a breakfast, as if he can't do that? And um, he said he liked bacon and eggs and omelets. And she said, okay, I, mean, I, I guess I could do that. And the kids, great kids, sounds like. He loves the kids, but he said there's a lot of chaos, and he has to do a lot of the discipline with the kids. So if for the next year you could do all the discipline. And when he comes home from work, just let him relax and enjoy and play with the kids and do things. But if you could do literally all the discipline, can you do it for a year? Again, you only have to do it for a year. Then he'll be probably fine and you'll go back to normal. She said, okay. One other thing, no nagging or negativity whatsoever. She's like, wow. (laughs) Okay, I can try. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of done that a little bit. And he said, well, you're going to have to stop because, again, you're going you're gonna to literally heal this man by, by doing something like that. And one other thing, just, you know, on the, on the side, you know, uh, just pleases every whim. You know, so just make him happy, whatever that means. See? So she's like, okay. So he said, then if you do all that, then I think within a year he'll be fine and, and you can go back to normal. So anyway, thanks for coming in. She goes into the waiting room. She picks up her husband. They go to the car. He's driving. They haven't said a word. He said then, wow, she just, I mean, this doctor just, you know, picked and prodded and took blood and urine and I got to come back and ask me all kinds of questions about, oh, personal issues. What did he say to you? She just looked out the window. You're going to die. <laughs> the truth is, there's a point to this. Relationships die if you're not intentional. And what I want to say is relationships aren't just easy. They're complicated. Relationships will happen because when Kathy and I got married 46 years ago, a sinner married another sinner, and then we had sinnerlings. And it's not easy. It's complicated. And yet, 
As I started studying relationships, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a dysfunctional family. Kathy was raised in a more dysfunctional family. And we thought it was going to be easy, and it wasn't. And even to this day, we write and speak on marriage and family, and yet we have a high-maintenance marriage, and we've got to keep working on it. But what we've seen is that there are patterns that happen. And what I want to talk about today are patterns, patterns to help your relationships. You'll have to figure out which relationship needs the most help, but anyway, there are patterns. What's fascinating about patterns that I started studying it is that some relationships work and some don't do so well, but the same people have the same problems. It's just how they work through those patterns. You see what I'm saying? So two words rise above the rest. Are you ready for these words? Positive adaptability. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you even biblically how if you have positive adaptability toward your spouse, toward your kids, toward your parents, toward somebody at work, it's going to make a difference. But again, it takes intentionality. And actually, it takes discipline. Paul said to Timothy, and you're actually going to be studying this in the coming series, but Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So apparently, discipline means roll up your sleeves and make it happen. Now, when I stood up here, um, no one, not one of you said, this guy is a stud. Right? Nobody. I know. I know. Sorry. But I have been working out. So, you know, during COVID, I lost some weight. I'm still losing some. I've been working out. I actually am sore because of some weights. And that's the pain of discipline. Thank you, brother. (laughs) No one has ever said that about me. And I love you. I'm just telling you. This is the pain of regret right here, okay? So again, the point that I'm trying to say is that it's going to take some discipline, but it works. If you don't discipline, your house is a house instead of a home. No one wants a house. I mean, a house. A house is a house. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. It looks like it's what goes on on the inside. And for many of us, we put more energy into what goes on on the outside than we do on the inside. But the answer is actually this whole idea of positive adaptability. And again, as I started investigating healthy relationships, what I said was, and it's so true, that successful relationships have certain patterns, and unsuccessful relationships actually have certain patterns. And obviously, I'm going to say that positive adaptability is a part of it. So I'm going to give you three simple words. I mean, and they are simple. Now, they're not easy, okay, but they're simple. So the first word is be adaptable. What we find is that people in relationships, if they're adaptable, do better. There's a man named uh, Neil Clark Warren. Every one of you know who Neil Clark Warren is. You just don't know it, probably. He's the guy on the commercials for eHarmony.com on television. He has, you know, he's now 83 years old, and he's, he's just this beautiful, incredible man. What people don't know is that he's a Christian, he's a marriage expert, he's a relationship expert, and he's been a mentor of mine for years. We actually went to the same grad school in New Jersey. And uh, him a few years before me. But I was sitting in his office uh, in Hollywood. And uh, he has a big story office. eHarmony is a pretty big business. And we were sitting talking and I was helping do some, some research and work for them on, that, on, on eHarmony. And I said, Neil, what is the most important trait of a healthy, vibrant relationship? What, what would you say? And without a moment's hesitation, this man said, adaptability. And I was actually surprised at that. But then the more I thought about it, We've got to be adaptable. I mean, life happens. Stuff happens to your life, right? Storms come. Every one of you have had a storm. You might be in a storm now. You've been through a storm or a storm's coming, but storms happen. And so we've got to be adaptable. Uh, Getting married. Uh, Children who maybe aren't walking with God, if you have older children. Uh, Quite possibly, it's a health issue. It's something that happened at work that was unsuccessful. It's a student who, who had a dream and it didn't, it's not happening exactly the same way it is. It's paying the mortgage. It's doing the responsibility. It's all that stuff, if you would, that become storms. Well, in the midst of that, we've got to learn to be adaptable. Now, what's fascinating is, is Jesus speaks to this. Jesus speaks to it in actually many places in the scripture, but I think he speaks to it. What we're going to look at today is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, most often quoted sermon ever. Jesus gave it. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we're going to take a par- the very end paragraph. Sometimes the ending is, is the most important. Jesus, I think, gave Save the Best to Last, and it was the most important sermon ever written and ever, ever spoken. Okay, So let's take a look at this, and again, I'm not going to exegete this as a pastor would do. Rodney can do that so well. So he'll sometime come at each, you know, go through, you know, each sentence. What I'm going to do is use it as a foundation for where we're going. 
So let's take a look at this scripture. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. This is familiar to many of you. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on what? The rock. Now, sometimes even Jesus is called the rock, okay? But it goes on to say, therefore, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it fell with a great crash. How many of us have been in relationships that have fallen? They do. Sometimes it's because we built a relationship on the wrong foundation, built it on the sand. And for a lot of us, because life is so challenging and because we're so busy and we're so fatigued or we're so involved in other things, we actually take our most important relationships for granted. You know, I do sometimes. And what I do, what I realize is I'm not having the discipline or the intentionality to make my relationship work with my wife. Here's my wife. This is my wife. I've been married to her for 46 years. I'm taking her for granted, or I'm taking a relationship with my kids for granted, and yet I'm not doing that for people at my office. I'm putting more energy into the people in my office sometimes or people who I don't know. I mean, I will always be up for you, but when it comes to the people most around, I sometimes give them my second best because I don't have the discipline to do that. It's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And along with that, as I said, rains come, storms come. And many times we think, well, you know, when the storm comes, then I'll work on it. No, 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 it's just the opposite. Build on the foundation before the storms come because then you'll have it within you to make that happen. For example, with Kathy and I, in our marriage, um, you know, we have a good marriage and we're mentors to people, which is funny because we also say, as I mentioned, we have a high-maintenance marriage. And we look at the word intimacy, which means connection. And I think the least developed area of intimacy in marriage is the area of spiritual intimacy. And uh, with Kathy and I, that would, that would have been the case. Uh, you know, there's physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and all these things, and those are all important. But spiritual intimacy, now, again, we, as a couple, we got married, we went on a 10-day honeymoon, and we came back, and I was a student pastor at a church. So, you know, we were in the church, we we're discipling kids, we we're praying at times together. It wasn't like we didn't pray, but we really didn't have a time of connecting spiritually. So one time we were with our mentors because we came from dysfunctional families. We needed marriage mentors. And so we had these beautiful people who were older and wiser than us. And one time I said to them, we were there really talking about parenting, but I said, by the way, what do you guys do for your marriage to be connected spiritually? And uh, this man who's a real strong Christian leader, he'd be known by some of these folks, um, he said, well, we pray once a week, 20 minutes a day, or 20, for 20 minutes. And I wanted to go, well, that is the most spiritually wimpy thing. I mean, 20 minutes. And then I went, but well, we really don't do that. And then we went on to ask another question about parenting. And we were in the car pulling out of their driveway to go home. And Kathy looked at me and she goes, hey, you know that 20-minute thing? I really want to do that. And, you know, I, my immediate reaction since I speak on this subject was, yes, that would be awesome. No, I didn't say that. I said, well, I mean, we're kind of busy and I don't want to do another Bible study. So, you know, I'm kind of whining to her. And uh, I said, well, why don't you do it? You take the lead, and when do you want to do it? And she said, 9 o'clock on Sunday. And I went, wow, you've got it all planned. And she goes, I do. So the next day was Sunday. <laughs> and uh, so I'm watching the Laker game. I'm from Southern California. I live in a place called Dana Point, California. I love the Lakers, and so I've been known to uh, spend some evenings watching the game. I'm sitting in my favorite chair, um, which actually two people can sit in it, but it's mine. And, um, and I have the clicker and I'm watching this thing and I have a Diet Coke and I am loving my life. And at nine o'clock, Kathy comes, sits, takes the clicker and goes, Shh, women don't do that to us men. So she just po- puts it on pause, just as Kobe, this is during Kobe. Kobe was just ready to, you know, make a, a touchdown. I'm kidding, a basket. And so I said, what's up? And she goes, it's our time to do, we're going to draw closer. And I went, oh, yeah. Well, I, again, it, w- it wasn't like I was anti this. And I said, you got something prepared? And she said, yeah. So she had a scripture and she had read an inspirational story and that was it. And then we prayed. You know, nothing real sexy about, you know, connecting. And uh, it was good. It was less than 20 minutes. And I said, we can, we, I can go back to the game now? And she goes, yeah. 
yeah, she went her way. I mean, again, it wasn't all that fancy, but I don't remember what I ate on Monday, but it nourishes me for the day, today. See, So then the next Sunday we did it, and the next Sunday we did it, and the next Sunday we did it, and all of a sudden I realized over a time period that this discipline and intentionality was drawing us closer together because we were putting our relationship finally on a rock instead of on sand when it came to the spiritual part. So we started telling people, teaching people, to, to challenging them to spend 20 minutes a, a week in their marriage relationship praying together, maybe reading something inspirational. Then a publisher said, hey, would you be willing to write a book, not about it, but 52 you know, devotions on it so people could do it? And we did, it and it became a best-selling book, and it never dreamed. It was the only book Kathy and I ever wrote together, and it became a best-selling book because people would come and say, this is so awesome. They never said the book was awesome. They said doing 20 minutes with each other was awesome. And we realized that our anointing in terms of our marriage and with our kids and stuff was better. Again, I'm not saying perfect, but I'm saying it's a discipline that we together. I get in at 8.22 and I, uh, tonight, and I guarantee you that tonight, Kathy and I will do our closer time. It just happens. Okay? And sometimes she leads it, sometimes I lead it. We kind of take turns now, but it's been a really neat thing. The, the illustration I'm giving is not just about marriage, but I'm saying if we were going to build our marriage on a rock, we needed to do something about it. It wasn't that we were in desperation and we were ready to divorce. It was just simply that that was a key thing that we needed to do. See. And so what I want to say to you is, no, you might have to roll up your sleeves and do some discipline to place it on because, because something's going to happen. There's going to be storms. There's going to be rain. And yet, if you build solid patterns upon a rock... It's going to keep your relationship from crashing. Now, in that office in Hollywood, when I was talking with Dr. Warren, he went on to say, and I love this quote, he said, if I could give one gift to every couple on their wedding day, I'd wrap up a large box filled with adaptability because no matter how good every, your relationship is, you will have to be flexible, underline that word, flexible enough to change yourself and at least tolerate your family's differences or your partner's differences or whoever. See? Well, there it is. I didn't even know it was up there. See? So that's what he said to me. I said, do you mind if I take a moment and I write that down? Because what I realized for me that that was a truth that I needed to hear about being more flexible and being more adaptable. You see, why? Well, in my relationship with Kathy, also my relationship with my kids. But with Kathy, we are very different people. And when I married her, what drew me to her started bugging me like crazy about her. And the same with her. And uh, honestly, we can drive each other just crazy. I mean, I'm an extrovert, and Kathy's an introvert. So I want to be the, at the party, and I'll have a shallow conversation with everybody. She'll go to the party. She'll have a singular, deep conversation with one person, and she'll be ready to go home earlier than I will be. Okay? Kathy is a detailed person, and I am, let's just say, less detailed. She would say less responsible, but we're not going to get into that, okay? It's my, I'm talking, not her. Um, Kathy has been known to um, be a realist, and I'm an optimist. Now, realist isn't a negative person, and she just is real. She, she looks at it in a real way, and I'm an optimist, even the way we do finances. One of our first fights ever was right after we were married, um, we were living in a studio apartment where I was a student pastor, and Kathy was working at 6 o'clock in the morning. Her specialty is working with kids who have autism and, and are on the spectrum, and she was already doing that. And she would go to work about 6 in the morning at a hospital. And uh, it was 1.30 in the morning, and I wake up, and I can see Kathy at the kitchen table. It was such a small studio that our bedroom, we could still see the kitchen table, and she's doing this. <sighs> And I've learned over the years that that means she's not happy about something. And so I said, Kathy, what, why are you up? And, and what are you doing? And she goes, well, I'm balancing the checkbook. Now, I know if you're under 40, you don't even know what a checkbook is. Okay, I get it. You know, It's this thing that your parents used to write with you and then hand you this piece of paper. But anyway, we had a checkbook, and she was balancing the checkbook. And so I, like, get up. I'm panicked. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money in the checking account, I knew. But, you know, I didn't want to go under. And so I don't know, I mean, I'm the guy who rounds it off, but maybe I'd made a mistake there. So I said, well, how much are we, are we off? I'm now right with her, trying to see what's going on. She goes, we're down $1.31. Now, some of you, like for me, I, I think that is the nuttiest thing in the world. And some of you who are like detailed, you're like, and what's your problem with your wife? I mean, that's a good thing. So I did what any loving husband would do, not. 
I, I went to the bedroom and I pulled out a dollar and 31 cents and I sort of slammed it on the table and I said, here's your dollar 31 cents, come to bed. Sleeping on the couch that night for the first time, not the only time, what that said was, you know what, I, let, I now embrace that. See, she's going to do it differently than me. See, but guess what? We, don't, we have a balanced checkbook because of Kathy Burns, not because of Jim Burns. Now, she also is a person who's late. I think in our 46 years of marriage, she's been to the first part of the first song at worship maybe five times. She's just late. And what I've had to do is, is, is realize what's important and what's not. So I want to give you a principle that really works for relationships when we think about adaptability. Are you ready for the principle? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? Does it really matter that Kathy is late to worship? I mean, you, that might bug you like crazy, but over the years, I've all of a sudden realized that, hey, we're going to get there. Okay. Does it really matter? I mean, let's take a very important issue. I mean, the, the toothpaste tube, right? I mean, that's important. If you share a toothpaste tube, you know how important this is. So let's say that your partner um, or your kids or whoever, they squeeze the toothpaste tube from the center. Oh. And, you know, it's just kind of a mess. And you neatly roll it, may I add, as Jesus would do. (laughs) Does it really matter? I mean, what we did was we bought two tubes of toothpaste many years ago. We've never had an argument again on the toothpaste. But she better not touch my toothpaste. See, because I'm going to roll it neat and she's going to just squeeze. I just can't understand that. But again, does it really matter? Now, some things matter, but if everything matters to a relationship, then nothing matters in their mind. See, so I'm going to show you a video, and if you like British humor, you're going to like the video, and if you don't like British humor, then blame Barry over here and he can get fired for this video. But it's just a, it's, it's a fun video, and it's a video of a woman and a man who got married on Saturday, and this is Sunday morning, they're in the honeymoon suite, and she may have to teach him how to have some manners, okay? And you're going to think about, does it really matter? And some of you are going to go, it matters, okay? Here they are, British humor at its best. Good morning, sweetheart. (laughs) Or should I say, Mrs. Vine? Isn't this absolutely beautiful? (laughs) From now on, it's just you and me and the rest of our lives. (laughs) Every minute of every day, together. (laughs) Summer, winter, autumn, spring. Come what may, I'll always be with you. Wherever you go, I'll go. Every direction you turn, there'll be no escape from my love. (coughs) Oh, I know people say that you you change when you get married, but don't worry, darling, I'll never change. Never. (coughs) Sure, we'll face obstacles, but we'll face them as a team. And when we do go through hard times, we'll go through them together. And we'll always be able to look back to this day, this place, this perfect moment together. Don't bite your nails, love. Did you get the end? Don't bite your nails. You're putting him, you're putting that woman through that and you're telling her not to bite her nails? Now, how many of you women would agree that maybe she needed to do a little training for that man? Yeah, I heard an amen. Good. Okay. But she did. But certain things don't matter. I mean, if his wife is going to bite her nails, I mean, is that, do you fight over that? I mean, I'm not sure you do. So you're going to have to decide what matters. But please hear this. If you're a person where everything matters, your relationship's not going to be strong. So you've got to be intentional and you've got to have the pain of discipline or you're going to have the pain of regret. Because really the answer is adaptability. I staying with the British theme. Winston Churchill said this, and I think this is a, a, a great quote. He said, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. And what I want to say to you is too many relationships go down because they've placed their relationship on the sand because they're throwing stones at every dog that barks. 
Now, when I'm in a relationship with my kids, with my wife, with friends, with whoever, if I point a finger at them, there are three fingers pointing back. I can't change Kathy. I can't change my kids, but I can change me. And for some of us, that's what we've got to do. So, well, we've got to be adaptable. Now, I, I said this was simple. It's not easy. And it's important to understand that adaptable families don't whine. And adaptable families don't blame or shame. Now, again, we'd be adaptable, but that's hard if we're control freaks. If you're a control freak, this is a hard message for you, okay? But is it working right now with your control? It probably isn't, to be honest. And quite possibly, if you're over-controlled, then you're spending time on the sand rather than on the rock. Now, the second one is just as simple and also just as not easy. Be positive. Be positive. Come to find out that positivity is the twin sibling to adaptability. What did I say? Positive adaptability. The two words that rise above the rest. So now we'll talk about positivity. Now, I'm not talking about positive Pollyanna type stuff. I'm not talking about, you know, positive self-help without Christ. I'm not saying that. Please don't hear that. But what I am saying is that this is the emotional climate of any relationship positivity or negativity. And so if positivity is part of the emotional climate, then things are going to go better. In fact, there's a guy named John Gottman, Dr. John Gottman. He's the key researcher in the world on relationships. He's a Jewish man. He's at the University of Washington. And what he says is that pretty much you can determine a relationship on the strength of the positivity that they have toward one another. So if you're always being negative, you're not going to have a good positive relationship. If you're always being um, more toward positivity, it's going to go better. And as I mentioned, the happiest people, they don't have any less problems. Please hear that. See, sometimes we think it's the circumstances that are getting us down. Let me say this loud and clear. Your circumstance may not change. You may not want me to say that from the pulpit, but your circumstance may not change. But your attitude can change, and that makes all the difference in the world. See? Okay. And the difference is sometimes in the intentionality with how you take a look at it. So life is more about perspective than circumstances. People who choose positive adaptability toward their relationship, well, they are simply happier in the relationship. And if experts are going to talk about it, they're going to call it learned optimism. So again, this is about the discipline. Um, If you lean toward negativity, well, this is going to be something that you're going to have to work on. Now, talking about positivity... Dr. Gottman goes on to call something a magic ratio. And what he calls the magic ratio, it's going to come up on the screen. For every five positive interactions, you have one negative interaction. Notice that he says there's going to be a negative interaction. You can't be in a relationship and not have a negative interaction. Please don't hear that. I'm saying everything is positive in Pollyanna. No, no, no. You're going to have negative interactions. You just have to have more positive interactions than negative. He calls that the magic ratio. I've never seen a marriage go down if there's a five-to-one ratio. No one has. But what Gottman says, and I tend to agree, is that if it's one-to-one, one one positive interaction to one negative interaction, then, frankly, the marriage is is not stable. And that's a problem. They might even be on their way toward divorce. With a relationship with your kids, it may go south. They may rebel. If if they're only here in negativity, that's not going to go. And let's, let's talk about negativity for a moment. Negativity kills relationships. So this is hard for a negative Nancy or a negative Net to hear. And part of that is just the habit. When I go negative, it's partly a habit that I have, and I need to discipline or be intentional about moving the relationship forward. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And really, that's a challenging scripture that Paul brings up. Because in a family it's easy for us to grumble and complain. We tend to grumble and complain about work, but we tend to not do it with everybody. We tend to do it maybe with only a coworker or back to our family. But I find that in the best of relationships, what we tend to do is we, we, sure, you can go negative or you can have a grumble, but if you do, know that that's going to be a withdrawal instead of a deposit. And so what Paul's challenge is here is to literally live life with a lot less grumbling and a lot less complaining. Negativity kills a relationship, like I said, and we've got to flee from it. Uh, This may be an oversimplification, may sound like one, but I think negativity devours the happiness of a relationship like very few issues. And it's something we have to work on. There's probably people in this place who go negative, and, it, and this is one of your issues that you'll have to work on, because when you go negative, I think there's a laziness about that. And again, you can talk to me afterwards if you want. 
But I think there's a little bit of a laziness, and I think sometimes what that means is we're, we're willing and settling for building the relationship on the sand rather than on a rock, because it takes discipline to build it on the rock. Okay. And uh, if we do think po- pessimistically, then guess what's going to happen? Our view of the world is going to go negative. Our view of a relationship is going to go negative. Our view of marriage is going to go negative. And what that becomes is what we call the self-fulfilling prophecy. So we've been speaking it, and it becomes that way. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, in the King James, New King James Version, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So what you think about all the time, you become. That's what Emerson said. So it's important for us to understand thoughts. The scripture's filled with, especially in the Proverbs, about what we think about. See? And so that's an important issue. Now, as we're thinking about these relationships, we have problems and we have patterns. All of us do. Every one of us. I have them. I, you got an hour, I'll tell you all my problems and patterns. And with a problem, my, I'm trained to help people solve problems. That's what my academic training is. So if we went to Starbucks and you had a problem, then I could probably at least help you try to resolve that problem. Okay, that's a problem. But patterns are a lot more difficult. Because patterns are habits that we've created over a long time, and sometimes those patterns don't work so well when the rains and the storms come. So what's your negativity patterns? Do you know them? You know what's fascinating is, is all studies show that we have a higher view of ourselves when it comes to this than actually comes out. Our, our people around us, our loved ones say, oh, he's more negative, and I say, no, I'm not negative at all. Isn't that funny? So, but the point is, is I know what my, my negativity patterns are. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. You know what that spells? Halt. I need to halt and deal with those issues or I'm going to go negative. What are your negativity patterns? What are your negativity blind spots? See? Now what's fascinating is a blind spot is a blind spot because you don't know what it is. So the people around you could probably tell you what your negativity blind spots are. Kathy and my kids can tell me what my negativity blind spots are. And actually that's how I kind of get halt. You know, Kathy will say, you, you are so tired right now. You're you know, you're moving into an area where you're, you're exhausted. You need to take a break. Say, whatever it might be. But the point that I'm trying to get across is that if we're not in touch with those patterns, then we can't do anything about it. In relationships, when we go negative, we have to ask this question in a relationship. And this is very important. Do I want to be right or do I want to improve the relationship? You can't have both. So a lot of times we get defensive when we try to out-argue. I'm a really good arguer with anybody in my family. And so I can win the argument and I lose the battle. Or do I want to improve the relationship? And to improve the relationship, I have to look at my own self. See what I'm saying? I had a woman one time say to me, prophetically, she came up to me after I was speaking. I was speaking to 8,000 kids. I used to spend time speaking to kids. And she said, I have a word from God. That always scares me. I mean, is my zipper down? I mean, what does God want to say from this lady? And she said, I think I'm supposed to say to you, untended fires soon become nothing but a pile of ashes. And in reality, what I'm saying to you is that we need to make sure we're tending the fire within our own soul so that we can have something for somebody else. Because if we don't, we're building that relationship on the, on the sand because we're not being intentional enough about it. Even when it comes to taking care of our own self-care, Spending time with God, spending time in health, getting healthy, putting the scripture into our minds. When you do that, you do better. But the lazy way is to try to be right in the relationship instead of try to improve the relationship. Because you might lose the war. So my daughter, Becca, she's my middle child with an emphasis on middle. She got engaged last week, which is yay, Becca. Um, She has a degree in clinical psychology, so she's a Christian now psychologist. And she taught me a word two years ago. It's a word that came into the English language two years ago. It actually made it to the dictionary, okay? Are you ready for this word? Awfulize. It wasn't a word three years ago. It's a word now. And awfulize is a verb. It's informal. I'm taking this right out of the dictionary. It says, imagine a situation to be as bad as it can possibly be. Are you an awfulizer? There are people in this room who are awfulizers. I could go awfulizing. Easy. It's the lazy way to do it. I awfulized the upcoming confrontation I was planning to have with my spouse. I thought it was going to go south, and self-fulfilling prophecy, it made it go south, see. And if we are an awfulizer, then we're going to be worrying about a lot of stuff, okay? My husband is late from work again. He's probably having an affair, okay? 
my son is going to impregnate his entire class. He's only in fifth grade, but he's going to, imp- <laughs> he's going to impregnate the, the entire class. I hope that doesn't happen. We're never going to have a good relationship. We're never going to get out of debt. We're never going to never get it. Never. Are awfulizers happy? They are not happy in relationships. Do awfulizers do well in relationships? No. If you're, and by the way, no elbowing here. But if you're an awfulizer, then this message is probably for you. Okay. And if you're an awfulizer, I'll just tell you right now, people are running from you. I can tell you that because I'm not in your family. But they're running from you because people don't want to be around an awfulizer. See? And again, it's going to take some spiritual discipline to make the move. And you don't make it by all of a sudden the next day going, oh, life's beautiful. You take the, you work it. You know, I, I was told when I started working out that it was going to take like six weeks to just start building muscle, you know. Apparently, it's taking me a little longer than six weeks, but, you know, it takes time. And that's what it does with this, but this is something we work out as Christians. You know, when we talk about discipleship or we talk about walking with God, this is the kind of stuff, relationships are part of that, that message. By the end of this message, you'll understand that better, I hope. So now I have the answer for you if you're an awfulizer. Now, it's, it's, if you're a counselor, you're not going to love this uh, answer because it's probably too simple. But I want to do something. I want to actually put a video in front of you. And um, this is a video of a counselor having a counseling session, an intimate counseling session with um, someone else. And they are apparently an awfulizer, okay? And uh, if you are over 40 in here, then you're going to know who this is. His name is Bob Newhart. Um, (laughs) If you're under 40, you don't have any idea who this guy is anyway, but it's on the Comedy Channel, okay? This is where I took it from, the Comedy Channel. So Bob Newhart having a conversation, and then we'll talk about it once we've watched this. So here it is. Okay, uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. (laughs) I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has has anyone ever ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry. Stop it! Stop it! Yes. S T O P. New word. I T. So, what are you saying? You know, it's funny. I I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds sounds frightening. (laughs) Yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since childhood. No, no, no. We, we, we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Okay, uh, well. So let's pretend you're an awfulizer at things sometimes. The storms come. What are you going to do? On the count of three. One, two, three. Stop it. Doesn't that feel good? I love that lady. She went, she let it, stop it. Now again, it's not that simple. But you've got to start someplace. And when you start, start by beginning to say, wait, I don't need to be in this place. I want to improve my relationship and watch it go three steps forward, a step back. Five steps forward, three steps back. Ten steps forward, six steps back. And next thing you know, you look in a year and you, you've, you've grown, you've changed. 
And you've not done it on your own, but you've done it in the power of God. Please don't hear that this is some kind of a, you know, pick-me-up message by your, by, without God. I mean, what is, what is that scripture about? You choosing to build your life on a rock, and the rock actually stands for Christ. Now, some of you in here have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, or, again, you've been busy, and you've been distracted, and you've drifted a bit. And what I'm saying is, is why not come back on the drift? I live in California. If I drifted 1% in a boat, I would end up in Australia. Not a good idea, because it just keeps going, but that's what we do with relationships. We need to come back, make a course correction. And so a lot of life when it comes to relationships is making course corrections. Don't beat yourself up. If you're the negative Nancy or the negative Ned in a relationship and you're in here, then, then the time is not to just beat yourself up, but literally to say, I can make this course correction. Make it with 1%, because 1% can mean a big difference over a time period, see? And so again, stop awfulizing. Don't go negative. So you be adaptable, you be positive, and then also be kind. Now again, simple, not easy. Kindness matters. Let me show you what the Bible says when it comes to kindness. And I think all of us can identify with these four scriptures. And actually, a lot of us know these scriptures very well. The first one says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, even as in Christ God forgave you. So because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our life, what is our response? Is our response to grumble and complain? Or is our response to be people who are kind? And you say, but in this relationship, they're not kind to me. So, you be kind to them anyway, because one person can make a difference in a relationship, and why not make that one person you? You say, well, I'm waiting for them to change. Don't do that. You change. You'll be a better person even if they never did change. See what I'm saying? So in this case, be kind and compassionate. The next scripture is basically the definition of love, and it actually goes longer than this, but it's in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It begins to develop what love is, but kind. And you say, but they're not kind to me. Well, then you be kind to them anyway, see. Even with Kathy, when we first got married, she was unsettled with our love, and she would always ask me the question, do you love me? And I always wanted to say, well, of course I love you. I told you on our honeymoon I loved you, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. But my point being, she didn't go for that. She wanted acts of kindness. And so when she saw me take care of her, when she saw me be generous toward her, not just in terms of money, but generous in terms of my love, my time, my energy, when she saw that, then she goes, okay, he must love me. See? So the way the people around you will know if you love them is when you're kind to them. The next one actually deals with the Holy Spirit. Very interesting. And this is, again, all scriptures that we know. <clears throat> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You've heard this. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, when you became a Christian, whether you knew it or not, the Holy Spirit of God came into your life. And so we're to be people who are empowered by the Spirit. And if in a relationship you're extra mean, you're extra grumpy, you're extra complainy, you're grumbling all the time, guess what? You're actually not walking in the Spirit because the Spirit shows us that kindness is one of the fruit of it, as well as these other things. So when people tell me that they're a Christian, then I expect kindness. We aren't very good at this as Christians. Some of us are really mean toward people who have a different view than us. I talk about this in a book called um, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Keep the welcome mat out and uh, keep your mouth shut is how it goes. And that pretty much summarizes the book. But what's fascinating about it is what I'm saying is, let's say that your adult children, and a number of you look by the look in here might have some adult children, who strayed. They violated your values, or they have a different way of looking, or they have a different political view, or a different religious view, whatever it might be. So you have to stay in the messy middle. You still love them and embrace them, but at the, and you hold on to your keys, but you're in the messy middle. And so your job is to show kindness, because being mean isn't going to bring your kids back. Being mean isn't going to bring your neighbor to Jesus. I'll just tell you that right now. You might be right, but if you're mean, it's not going to work. Now, in that book, I, I, and I mentioned this in the first service, and a person came up and talked to me about it, um, one of the phrases, there's a section in there on, on learning what millennials are like and whatnot, and, and what I say is millennials um, have, a, have a view that tolerance is a form of loving. And as Christians, we have certain things in our biblical view that, you know, Jesus wasn't always tolerant toward things, but he always loved people. 
He, he didn't agree with the prostitute, but he loved that prostitute, and he, sh- he honored the prostitute. Well, what did that do? It melted the prostitute. He, wasn't, he didn't agree with what the taxpayer was doing. That would be Matthew. But he loved the... And so he didn't take away his belief, but he still showed love. I think kindness does that, and I think we do that when we're walking empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay? The last one actually was said in my wedding, and I love this one. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So apparently what we're to do is be proactive about putting on kindness as well as those other words. So for me, I've realized that the discipline is I get up in the morning and I'm going to put on kindness. I'm going to be kind toward Kathy, even if I don't feel it. But I'm going to be kind because it's a discipline and because it's intentional. And if I'm going to be kind to Kathy on that day, then guess what? My relationship with her is going to be better. I'm going to be kind to my children even if they're bugging me. I'm going to be kind to people at my office even if I don't agree with them on everything. You can still be kind and disagree. I'm not saying that you never have conflict. What I'm saying is conflict can either be take you away from a person or actually toward a person. But you've got to do it in a healthy manner, and that's what we're learning about today. So those scriptures are key to understand that kindness matters. Kindness matters. And it matters to every relationship, and kindness can change everything in a relationship. And actually, kindness will melt relational walls. Let's say you have some walls up with whoever you're thinking about here. And what may melt those walls more than your words and trying to be right is actually showing kindness. See? So I have a friend, her name is Shanti Feldhahn, and she wrote a book called The Kindness Challenge, and she lives in Atlanta, and she's a Harvard researcher and a wonderful Christian woman, and her husband Jeff is an attorney, and they're just great people. And I was speaking at a women's conference, about 3,800 women. I called it the estrogen conference, but anyway, there you go. And um, it was just what me is the male and then uh, some women speakers. And Shanti and I were sitting in the back with, with Jeff. And I said, hey, how's your book coming? And I had endorsed her book. Hadn't come out yet. She goes, oh, it's, it's awesome. She said, 89.3% of the people who take what she calls the kindness challenge, they say that their relationships are better. And I went, whoa, whoa. You know, you know folks like Rodney and I, we, don't, we can give messages, but we don't have a, a metrics to measure some of that. She does. So... I want to give you the kindness challenge to end. I'm not going to sing Kumbaya, and we're not going to give a rousing story. What I'm going to do is say, look it, let's roll up our sleeves, and it's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Let's do some, let's do some discipline. So here's the kindness challenge with three phrases. Element number one is nix the negative. So I want you in the next 30 days to say nothing negative toward this one person. You're going to say things that are negative, but toward whoever you're thinking, either to them or about them to someone else. That's hard to do took me 48 days. I had to keep backing up. Nix the negative. Bite your tongue. I say even to, uh, in, in adult children book, I say um, unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. So, and I tell people I have scars on my tongue with my kids. <laughs> okay. Bite your tongue. Nix the negative. And again, 30 days. You can talk about boundaries. You can deal with discipline with your children. There's lots of things you can do, but you don't have to do it in a negative manner. See what I'm saying? So this isn't Pollyanna walking six inches off the ground. This is nix the negative. Bite your tongue. Secondly, goes along with it, practice praise. So what I'm asking you to do is, whatever you're, whoever you're thinking, you're trying to improve a relationship, every day find one positive thing, and then you sincerely praise them or affirm them, and then also you tell somebody else. Now I'll tell you, for me, and I'm, I had to be proactive about it, I have a little journal, I do my little prayer journal in the morning, and I would write something that I was going to praise Kathy about. And it doesn't have to be big or grandiose. And I found that I didn't even tell Kathy I was doing this. But I found that she appreciated praise. See? You know, that's a love language. And so find things to praise them for. And again, you don't have to gush or don't lie. Just find something that you, you can praise them for. And then the last one, and I think this is key and critical. We've talked about it. Carry out kindness. Every day, do a small act of kindness or generosity. I'm putting the word kindness and generosity together. Now, generosity, I'm not talking about money as much as I'm talking about being generous with your time or your energy, an act, a random act of kindness. You do that to someone in your family, and you do that for 30 days, I think you'll be one of those people of the 80-plus percent who say that their relationship is better. 
Are you willing to do that? I honestly want to challenge you to consider doing that. If you do, I think your relationship will be better. Will it be perfect? No. Will it be better? Yes. Because what you're doing is you're beginning to develop a relationship that's built on the rock, not on the sand. When you do that, your relationships are better. Again, very different type of a message. I totally understand that today. And, you know, Rodney can do a lot better job of of taking that scripture apart. But rain is going to come if it it isn't right now. Storms are going to come if it didn't already before. And so for us, as Christians, our job is to prepare for the rain and the storms. Nobody said because you're a Christian that God's going to take away your storms. He's not. He doesn't work that way. But he gives you the power to get through those storms in a much better way, even with relationships. You got it? Now, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, then I would suggest that today is a great day to do that. Why would you want to do relationships on your own? Does it work? Is it working? I really rather doubt it. I have to admit and say, I would never be married to Kathy if I didn't have Christ in my life. The decision I made when I was 16 years old to become a Christian, that decision, and I had no idea when I made that decision that it was going to affect my marriage as much as it did, but it has. I I would have fled. I'm a run. I'd run. But because of Christ and because of the strength that he gives me, and I would suggest that to you, I would also say that when you get to the end of your life, hopefully that's not soon, that you're only going to have two thoughts, and this is research. You're going to want a right relationship with God and a right relationship with your loved ones. So why wait, is what I'm saying. You say, well, I've been married for a long time, and this is just kind of habits. Then fine, make a tweak. Make a switch. You can always have hope in relationships. So take a baby step today. And don't do it on your own, but do it with Christ's help. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for this church who cares deeply for relationships. But right now I pray for the people in these seats that they would be the men and the women who would have courage, the courage to build their relationships on a rock and build their relationship with you on the rock. And God, we admit, readily admit that we cannot do it on our own, but that we need the power of your Holy Spirit to come alongside of us. And God, give us the strength and the empowerment to do what we've talked about today. Is there something we need to do in a relationship? Lord, speak to our hearts if that's the case. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's stand together.